Hi, I'm Jed. This is Cook Culture. So an interesting report was just released that talked about raising kids in a vegetarian environment compared to a non-vegetarian environment and how do those kids grow up? Do they grow up you know, with any sort of deficiencies comparatively to not eating meat? And I was specifically interested in this because I was raised a vegetarian and I'm raising my kids in a plant-based environment and so they don't eat any meat and you know, they in, in small instances will have dairy but predominantly we don't eat dairy in our family and so I was interested you know like hey I, I'm always wanting to know am I doing the right thing for my kids if I'm you know cutting something out and replacing it with something else is that the right thing is it safe and so I read this report in detail I took you know, a lot from it but I was interested to get a, a, a professional perspective on this, you know, on somebody who deals with kids, who understands this at, at, a, at a much more detailed level um, and sees this sort of decision making being applied in a day to day life and, you know, is that the right way to go. So I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Gandhi. Dr. Gandhi is a pediatric heart surgeon, so he operates on little tiny babies and, and, and toddlers and adolescents and, and, you know, every day he's working with life and death situations with kids and those kids you know go through that acute issue that he's dealing with that you know isn't a dietary issue as he'll talk to you about but they then go into a stage of needing to you know recover from this incredible experience that they've gone through and you know parents trying to make the best decisions for their kids from a nutritional standpoint and how they're going to care for them you know post surgery and post this 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 time they've gone through in their life and so I thought this was a really interesting unique perspective that he has so I was very 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 happy to go and, and spend some time with him and talk to him about about you know, his own life, his own perspective, and how he sees parents navigating you know, the difficulties of you know, the food environment that we live in. And you know, trying to feed kids more plants and feeding kids more plants, is that the right decision? And is it safe? So we both talked about this report. He read it in detail, he has his perspectives, and so I went and sat down with him, and this is our conversation. So I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. Thanks so much. So by profession, I'm a heart surgeon. Um, a pediatric cardiovascular surgeon. Um, I've been in that profession for a few decades now, and uh, I've been in Vancouver since 2010 as the head of pediatric cardiovascular surgery at BC Children's Hospital. So you operate on... You know, I operate on just kids, kids, so kids that are typically born with congenital heart problems, so mm -hmm. they're born with a malformation of their heart, which okay. is one of the more common birth defects uh, of the heart. One out of every hundred kids is born with a heart defect. Wow. And a significant number, a majority of those children will need at least an operation in their life. Some kids will need multiple operations throughout the course of childhood. Um, so that's all I do is, is pediatric heart surgery. Wow. So how many kids are a day are born in Vancouver? I don't know the answer to that question, but, uh, you know, we... We do about um, 350 operations a year. Um, pediatric heart surgery in Canada is a bit specialized in the sense that it's geographically confined to a few places. So in Western Canada, it's just Edmonton that has a heart surgery program for mm -hmm. children and Vancouver that has a heart surgery program okay, for so children. So everyone born is coming to one of the Right, treatments. so we service all of Western Canada, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia. Yeah, wow, that's intense. And the 
Yukon Northwest Territories. Yeah, well, good on you for doing that. Yeah. That's incredible work. Well, it's very satisfying. Yeah, I can imagine saving children's lives. Um, so thank you so much for meeting with me today. So as I was saying at the beginning of this video, where I introduced kind of the reason that we're talking, um, this study that got my attention, uh, as I was saying previously, you know, I was raised a vegetarian in the 80s. Um, you know, you come from a vegetarian family um, that I'm sure you'll probably tell us about. Um, but fascinatingly, you know, back then, you know, I was looked at as, as a real oddball. You know, people were concerned, teachers, parents, people were concerned for my well-being, for the, my family's well-being constantly because we were not anywhere close to the normal. Things have changed a lot, but it seems to me that there's still a lot of confusion or worry that if a parent was to reduce the dairy intake or the meat intake specifically for a child, what happens? Like you're taking something out, what needs to go back in? And you know, that's where I find this conversation, you know, where you are you know, a, a primary caregiver for, for children and may not be nutrition your specialty, but you know, have a good general understanding of what children need to grow up to be you know, strong adults. Um, that's where I was really excited about having this conversation with you, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I mean, heart surgery, a lot of people think, well, it's about just doing this fancy operation and getting them out of the hospital, which is, of course, a big part of it. But, um, you know, the goal is in this day and age, not to just do a fancy operation and get them out of the hospital, but to give them a normal quality and quantity of life um, as much as possible. And so I really try to promote a good lifestyle and push other agendas, actually, when it comes to taking care of kids. Um, I mean, I promote vaccinations. I promote a good, healthy diet because I want them to reap the benefits of the work that we do early on in their lives to fix their hearts. There's no point in fixing their heart if they end up with acquired heart disease later on because of careless lifestyle mistakes. Mm -hmm. And this is talking about living a typical North American sort of diet yeah. lifestyle. Yeah, from a diet perspective. I mean, obviously, you know, um, lifestyle comes with a lot of things. You don't want kids with heart disease or anybody, in fact, to be a chain smoker or, you know, to, to use illicit drugs and stuff like that. But, but from a diet perspective, that doesn't get um, near the attention of potentially being destructive to someone's um, health long term, especially when they're a kid. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's what I was, I was hoping that we could talk about today is, is in the study that I've referenced and is in the notes below in this video is, you know, the study that was out of the University of Toronto states that there is really no difference between feeding a child a, a rounded vegetarian lifestyle compared to a typical North American lifestyle of, of growth and, and size as the child grows up. And you, you've read that study and what's your take on, on yeah, it? Yeah, and I think overall it's a, it's a well... Uh, conducted study and it's a large number of patients unfortunately the number of vegetarian slash vegan patients in the larger cohort was relatively small um, but the the essence of their conclusions was that it's safe to be a vegetarian as a child mm -hmm. a plant-based diet is not harmful if done carefully appropriately balanced mm -hmm. um, obviously there are, will be deficiencies from the lack of meat, but those deficiencies are not such that they can't be easily substituted for plant-based um, foods. And in fact, some of the plant-based plant foods have 
advantages, significant advantages over over um, meat-based foods when it comes to providing those nutritional um, or providing the, 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 the nutritional benefits. Um, so, um, you know, the study, the, the conclusion of the study was that it's safe to be a vegetarian, and the only downside they saw was um, a growth issue in certain kids. But if you d dive deeper into the study, I'm not really sure that's a major factor, and there's some uh, issues that they didn't completely account for. Mm -hmm. And there were benefits to being a vegetarian, benefits in terms of um, not having issues with iron, for example, not having issues with cholesterol, for example, those sorts of things mm -hmm. um, came out as benefits in the study. Okay. Yeah. And, and so in that, uh, something I wanted to, to, to ask you specifically, um, you had mentioned that there was only a small cohort of the children that were actually vegetarian and vegans, uh, 338 out of like 9,500, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. So that's fairly small. Um, I need to put on my glasses, unfortunately, just to read some of my questions no for you. Problem. Um, so, you know, the, the fear of poor limited group is holding somebody back. Um, do you think, and you've just referenced this, but do, do you think that it, the, the, in essence, the report proves that if you do go to a rounded vegetarian vegan lifestyle, that it is a harmless thing? You, you're saying safe? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's more than harmless. Like, I think there's benefits to it. Um, Over that of a typical North American diet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, full disclosure, I'm not a vegan. I'm not even a vegetarian. Yeah. I mean, I've evolved my diet quite a bit over the last decade to be much more plant-based. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm probably vegetarian, you know, 80% of the time. But um, And I really, truly believe in a well-rounded diet. I don't think there is an issue once in a while if you want to do this, that, or the other thing. Yeah. But um, I think being smart about dietary choices is the most important thing, being well-rounded and understanding what you have to put in your body to make up for what you don't put in your body is important. Um, you can't just eat one thing, you know, 24-7, 365, and expect not to have issues. Right. Um, but at the same time, um, you know... Uh, there are, there are people that are scared to have their children follow a plant-based diet largely or solely because they're worried about iron deficiency and they're worried about growth and they're worried about protein intake and all that sort of stuff, which is a bit of a fallacy. Like you can get just as much protein from plant-based foods if done properly, iron um, is not an issue if done properly. And you think about it, there are so many plant-based foods that have as much or more iron than red meat does, for example. Yeah. So um, you don't really have to worry about those sorts of things when it comes to the growth and development of a child, and which is obviously important. People worry about, well, you know, the growth and development of a child is going to influence them for the rest of their life, which is entirely true. But um, if you do it properly and smartly i think it's it's not an issue i think i think the typical north american diet has a lot more issues with life later on because it's a lot of processed food a lot of sugar a lot of salt and those are the real culprits when it comes to yeah. health consequences down the road 
So this wasn't one of my questions, but it came to my mind as you were talking. Um, you know, I, I, I find it fascinating all the time. As long as I've, I've known you, I, I, I have a hard time not picturing you dealing with terrified parents. Yeah. Um, the, By definition, when parents meet me, they're terrified. Okay. Yeah. And that's just, I, I, I assume that. You know, the first time it really kind of clicked to me what it is that you do for a living, it, it, it made me terrified. Yeah. <laughs> so having two children of my own. Um, in that, how often do you, you know, as you're, you, you've, you've done your work, the child is coming through, they look like their prognosis is looking good. How often do you find that those parents that are now, you know, they've got this little bud of joy that they now are responsible for to grow into a full human being, uh, adult, um, how often do, do they just get fixated on diet and diet? Like they're going to now go and do every single thing they possibly can. Well, I mean, it depends on the family, obviously, but, but I mean, some families are completely fixated on it, too fixated on it. Okay. Um, and you got to let a kid be a kid. Yeah. Like you can't say a kid can never go to McDonald's ever. Yeah. Um, that's just not, not realistic. But at the same time, um, you have to make smart choices. And there are kids, I mean, the babies that we operate on are obviously different. Their diets are pretty standard. Right, yeah. Um, but the, the toddlers and the older children, like if I notice a dietary issue when they come in, I'll mention it mm -hmm. and not just mention it, but get our dietitian who rounds with us every day mm -hmm. to get involved before that family leaves. Right. And as part of the heart center at BC Children's Hospital, uh, you know, we have specific cardiologists. I'm a heart surgeon, but we have specific cardiologists that deal with that sort of stuff, that deal with cholesterol, that deal with obesity, that deal with um, dietary manipulations. So um, I'll, I'll make mention of it and I'll try to... Um, angle it such that you know we want to protect this organ that we've just worked on um, and we want to do everything we can to make sure this kid has a healthy happy normal life mm -hmm. and diet's obviously a big part of it um, so some patient parents will get too fixated on it some parents don't care about it at all yeah. but most parents you know they associate can the heart with heart healthy even though we're dealing with congenital heart defects that have you know in the adult world a lot of the heart problems that patients present with are acquired be, have at least something to do with lifestyle right. diet uh, consumption of whatever tobacco use that sort of thing diabetes hypertension but in kids they're born with this stuff but still it's the heart so a lot of parents recognize that that they want to maintain a heart healthy diet to maintain healthiness of the heart yeah, yeah. so that's a that's a plus for yeah. sure and do you see you know those those families that go in that kind of direction do you see that child thriving in a certain way and the children that don't that they can, can yeah i think that's that's re regardless of whether they have a heart issue or right. not you can take any kid and say that like if a kid has uh good dietary decisions made for them or they make them early on it usually continues the rest of their life i mean i compare my diet as a kid to my three kids diets mm -hmm. and they're vastly different maybe it's because of the part of the world we live in maybe some of it has to do with my influence some of it has to do with their interests but um they're all pretty sports avid and um you know they make much healthier dietary choices yep. and they have even as teenagers when they were teenagers yeah. they live in vancouver too. yeah that i ever did at that age yep. 
or even at older ages. Um, you know, like, for example, sugary drink soda is not something even on their radar screen, right? right? Where I grew up with two liter bottles of Coke in the fridge as standard, and that was the standard drink, yeah. right? And... Um, and was that your influence or was that something that they found with their peer group and their certain? No, I think it's a combination of the two, but I think it's probably more the peer group. I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't had a Coke for over a decade. Right. Um, and you know, there's nothing in my fridge about water, yeah. like nothing about water. Um, and I think part of it's, you know, when you do go out to eat, you, you just ask for water and yep. you don't ask for anything else. Not that there's anything wrong with anything else, but that's the influence part and the healthy uh, diet part. But I think their peer group and their uh, sports affiliations, they're all, they were all very competitive ski racers. And one of them is very into golf and fitness and, and um, the other one's heavily into sailing and, one's into field hockey and so you know because of that association with competitive sports i think they've been influenced right. to make healthy dietary choices yeah yeah Great. not to say that they don't you know indulge once in a while either they do yeah but uh, i think overall i'm impressed with the choices that they do make yeah well good on you I'm sure there's some influence um so uh the the, the, the study gets detailed and it starts using terminology that is um, confusing. Um, they talk about serum lipids. Yeah. Right? So can you explain what yeah, a serum well, lipids lipid is? Like our fat. Lipids in and of themselves, they're important, but they're not the be-all and end-all. Cholesterol in and of itself is very important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. You have to take everything as a package. So, I mean, their point about lipids was that... Um, if you're a vegetarian and you don't consume cow's milk, your lipids levels are lower than if you do consume cow's milk. But if you're a vegetarian that takes the recommended two cups of cow's milk or whatever it was a day, it, your lipid profile is the same as a non-vegetarian. You know, I think that's nitpicking about details that aren't super important. I mean, not that they're not at all important, but, um, and cholesterol is also very important, but, but it's in the context of general health. So if, if the only thing wrong with you is that you have too many lipids in your system, like that's not the end of the world. Um, at the same time, you know, if you have high cholesterol, you, you probably need to make adjustments one way or the other to affect that for the long term. Mm -hmm. So there's an argument in a world of high cholesterol, of good, good high cholesterol and not good high cholesterol. Like, yeah, there's two types of cholesterol. There's the good cholesterol and the bad cholesterol yeah. um, and, and the LDL and the HDL. But, but I, the bottom line with everything, I think, is everything in moderation. But cholesterol is clearly... Um, the bad cholesterol is clearly a risk factor for cardiovascular disease later on in life. There's just no question about that. And there's no question that cholesterol intake from sources such as red meat contribute to that. Mm -hmm. um, and vegetarians tend to have better cholesterol profiles. Now, having said that, I mean, there's a genetic component to high cholesterol. 
Um, I was telling you earlier that my family has familial hypercholesterolemia, and my, I grew up the son of two family doctors, and my dad made me get my cholesterol checked when I was a teenager, reluctantly did so. It was extremely high, and I was put on an anti-cholesterol drug, Lipitor, from the time I was a teenager. And I made some less than adequate dietary modifications at that point they didn't really do anything to my cholesterol levels so i just said well it doesn't work so i'll just stay on lipitor and i stayed on lipitor for 30 years well 25 years and um, finally started to get some side effects from lipitor at the time my diet had dramatically changed my exercise regimen had dramatically changed my lifestyle had dramatically changed and I just decided to take myself off Lipitor um, and subsequently got my cholesterol checked a year later and it was completely normal which it had never been even on Lipitor and has stayed normal for the past seven or eight years so I, I do think that uh, it's important. I do think that lifestyle modifications can affect it. There are some people that have genetic predispositions to high cholesterol, meaning that they may require medications, but it's too easy to take a medication to reduce your um, cholesterol. It's a little bit harder to make dietary modifications if you're not totally into it. But, you know, as a surgeon, I'm pretty anti-medicine anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so... For me, it was an easy decision once I figured out I could actually control my cholesterol with a diet that I am not forcing myself on. I actually enjoy the diet that I consume, and, um, and it happens to be healthy. Were you surprised? Yeah, I was a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I thought my cholesterol would be better, but I didn't think it would be stone-cold normal and stay stone-cold normal. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So that, that, that gave you more kind of reinforcement to like, this is the way I need to be living and yeah. it made you happier to be going down that route? Yeah, totally. Okay. And so that was dramatically increasing eating more vegetables, fruits, yeah. reducing meat but not eliminating it, reducing... Yeah, I mean, red meat... Uh, yeah, my diet consists, uh, again, about 80% vegetarian. Uh, the meat, uh, like I eat red meat extraordinarily rarely these days. Um, frankly, when I make Christmas dinner for my kids, they like red meat, so that's probably the only time I actually make red meat in the year is on Christmas. Um, and um, the other meat sources are lean chicken and fish. But again, it's much less frequent than it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, I, I, I know that my iron intake and my protein intake, because I keep track of it, is uh, just as good as uh, a non-vegetarian. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, I started my life really as a vegetarian. I mean, my parents are from India. I spent my first year of life in India. And uh, they were strict vegetarians, religious vegetarians. So um, but you could equate it to their religion to like being an, an ultra vegan. Okay. Like the, the things that they wouldn't eat were quite amazing. Yeah. But when they moved to North America after the first couple of years, as you introduced at the beginning, they found it quite difficult to raise children in uh, in this part of the world as a vegetarian. It just wasn't, it wasn't doable in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you really couldn't interact and with peers and go on field trips and, you know, be a normal human being if yeah. you were going to just eat plants. 
So, and the kind of plants that we ate at home were, you know, Indian spiced right. plants. So, so, so they decided to, to abandon the vegetarian life. And my yeah. mom actually, you know, was a terrific cook and she cooked, um, non-vegetarian stuff and mixed all these Indian spices with it. I don't think she ever owned a cookbook, but she just sort of made it up and, um, she ate some of it. She didn't eat a lot of it, but she, she made it tasty enough that it was fantastic. And, and so that's how we grew up. And, um, we grew up as non-vegetarians and mm-hmm. later on in life, my dad actually went back to his vegetarian lifestyle, but it was probably not till his sixth or seventh decade until he okay. did that. Yep. And he did it for health reasons too. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the North American population also doesn't realize that there are parts of the world that are totally healthy right. that don't consume meat for religious reasons. Mm-hmm. And they do fine. Yep. <laughs> they yeah. don't grow and develop any less well than we do. Right. Yeah. They don't need studies to show them that yeah. they're growing just fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Um, so iron is, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up a vegetarian. Iron was always the big issue. And it's been my entire life. Iron has always been this kind of buzzy word in, in, in behind my head. Um, you know, iron deficiency, uh, like what is the concern? Iron is a big deal, like if you have it, like the iron deficiency. So iron's necessary for red blood cell production. And um, if you have iron deficiency, your red blood cell count's going to be lower. Your hemoglobin, that is, is going to be lower. When we see that routinely in preoperative evaluation of kids that are vegetarians, oftentimes they have slightly lower hemoglobins than kids that aren't vegetarians. I can almost tell you when I look at the lab results that, oh, this kid must be a vegetarian. And... um, if it's just a little bit low, it's not that big of a deal. Okay. If it's a lot low, it's a big deal. That's it called anemia? Yeah, that's called anemia. Right. So that would be iron deficiency anemia. Iron deficiency anemia happens for a lot of reasons. In the adult population, iron deficiency anemia really happens because of blood loss. Okay. And oftentimes it's gastrointestinal blood loss from, from occult bleeding, from an ulcer, from issue in the colon or the small intestine or whatever and you can have gastrointestinal blood loss in children too so we always evaluate that but but you can have iron deficiency anemia strictly from dietary reasons Mm -hmm. and so um it is important not to be anemic um but there are plenty of plant-based sources of iron that can make up for the lack of iron that you won't get from eating red meat. Clearly red meat's a great source of iron. There's just no question about that. But there's a lot of plant-based iron that you can get. And some people do take iron supplements. Mm -hmm. The problem with some iron supplements, a number of iron supplements, is they they have gastrointestinal side effects, just the iron supplements, you know, constipation and bowel habit changes and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you, you don't have to be a meat eater to not be anemic. Mm -hmm. I'm not anemic. I eat meat, but rarely, as I said. Um, And and I would be concerned about that. I live a pretty active lifestyle and um, physically very active, and I would be affected if I was anemic. There's no question. Like, your exercise tolerance won't be as good. You'll be fatigued more. And there's all this stuff on the Internet about, about how people that have gone 
vegetarian for X number of days, months, weeks, whatever, have become anemic and they've become lethargic and fatigued and whatever, and they could never do that forever. You know, I think that's just a, a result of them not having a well-balanced vegetarian diet. Right. And I, I think I have that question here, but this is a good time to ask it because that's what the, the study references is this well-balanced. You know, they don't talk about well-balanced, you know, the, the standard diet, but they talk about if the vegetarian diet is well-balanced, then the results are similar or the same. Right. What does that mean? Like if you're going to tell a, a parent, you know, you're, you're working with them, you're like, hey, well, you know, if you're going to go to vegetarian, it should be a well-balanced. Like what would you end up saying that that means? Well, that means that you, you do need to pay attention to intake of micronutrients and protein and vitamins and, and um, all the components that make a well-rounded diet. You can't just eat lentils day in, day out, or you just can't eat spinach day in, day out and expect to um, have all the nutritional requirements met. Okay. So... Um, you clearly have to eat a variety of foods and that's it's not difficult like you know there's there's lots of different ways to do it x amount of protein on your plate x amount of carbs on your plate x amount of fat in your diet mm -hmm. um different colored foods the more colorful the better um and and it, it's not like you have to go use a calculator to figure out you know how many grams of protein you've had a day and how many grams of uh, carbohydrates you've had a day and what percentage is this and what percentage is that you just have to be smart about it intelligent about it and um, not restrict your diet to certain things and be prepared to experiment with other things that you might not do like the typical North American non-vegetarian person probably doesn't have a lot of lentils in their cabinet mm -hmm. right and they probably a lot of them probably don't know what a lentil is um, and opposite the vegetarian person probably got 20 different types of lentils the, the vegan they might you might even have 20 different types of lentils sure. in your cupboard but um so but there's a there's a happy medium in there somewhere mm -hmm. in between and there's there's lots of plant-based foods that people don't even know exist yeah um to be honest with you okay so on the on the flip side of that you know it, it it makes me think again talking to parents and the conversations they're going to have that i find fascinating how often do you have a parent that thinks that maybe vegetables and keep feeding kids vegetables could be problematic and that, you know, more meat, more saturated fat is, you know, and having more density of, of protein and, and high quality saturated fat is the way they yeah, start to lean. I don't think I've run into many parents that think vegetables are harmful, but I have run into those that think that uh, lack of meat will result in deficiencies that can't be overcome in other ways. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the, the fallacy that one has to overcome. Having said that, like, I don't push that in children at all. Yeah. If children want to eat red meat, that's fine. I, yeah. I, again, I think it just needs to be balanced. If you're going to eat a steak every single night, that's not a good thing. Right. It's um, like eating like, lentils every single night. Yeah, There's it's just not. Balance. Right. I mean, but eating a steak once every other week or something, like, it's fine. I just think you have to, you have to realize what you're doing or eating processed food every day. That's probably the worst thing, right? If you're going to let your kid eat McDonald's four times a week, um, it's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. If they go to McDonald's you know, a couple times a year, like, so what? 
I, I don't think that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's just about striking the right balance. Yeah. So in that space, which I find fascinating and, and I worry and I worry, I, I, I consider this with, with children is that there is, you know, seemingly two large loud camps. There are people that talk about vegetables, eating more vegetables, you know, a lot like yourself, you know, take a small amount of fish, take a small amount of this and that, but vegetables and fruit is predominant on your plate. Yeah. And then there's these other camps that are, or this other camp that is, you know, there's lectins in in fruit that are going to, or vegetables that are going to somehow harm you. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's all these issues and that the more meat and the more saturated fat and going into a stage that's, you know, ketosis yeah. and living in the space. I understand this for a, for an adult, for a human that can make choices. It's like somebody who wants to go binge drinking for the weekend. It's like, that's your thing, right? You yeah. want to do that, yeah. right? You know, like, however. But when it comes to children's health, I have not been able to find one you know, authority, you know, like the AMA or whoever that, that doesn't actually talk negatively about children and, and eating in a, in a, like a carnivore style lifestyle. Would you say from a from a you know professional standpoint of, of you know increasing that amount of red meat and saturated fat, is that something that you would think would be detrimental as a, as an adult should try to make that choice for a child? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean the information out there is ridiculously confusing, even for educated people, and I'm not a nutritional expert by any means, but I, I do have some health knowledge, and when I looked that stuff up on Dr. Google or the internet or whatever. I mean, it gets very confusing because you can find anybody that says anything is awful. You know, being a vegan is the worst thing in the world. Being a vegetarian is the worst thing in the world. Eating tomatoes are the worst thing in the world. Eating fruits and vegetables all day and the lectin thing and all this sort of stuff. Like, it's like, well, I just should probably starve, right? Right. Because everything's bad for me. Um, So... Sometimes too much information is not good, and mm-hmm. we see that a lot in in our line of work because most parents come quite educated these days about everything, and right. and you have to select sort of what you read on the internet. Um, having said that, you know I'm a heart surgeon, so I operate on the heart every day, and um, it's astonishing to me sometimes when I open up a toddler's heart or open up their aorta to do something to their aorta and there's plaque on the inside of it and they're seven or eight or nine or 10 or 11 or 12 years old. And, and, and plaque is like plaque col- is cholesterol, cholesterol buildup. And, you know, again, there can be genetic issues that lead to that, but that's dietary. And to me, that's a problem. And, it's not a problem in that a little bit of plaque inside your aorta when you're seven or eight is going to cause you to die or anything like that. That's not the issue. The issue, that's a harbinger of disease to come, you know, and that's, that's only going to get worse as you get older. And clearly plaque buildup, high cholesterol, that's a huge source of morbidity in the adult world because cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death in North America. And so, Uh, And most cardiovascular disease is in some way, shape or form acquired in the sense that there are contributing factors like tobacco consumption and hypertension and diabetes and diet and lack of exercise and all the rest that that contribute to poor cardiovascular health. So um, any modifications that you can make as a child or in youth um, that stick are obviously going to be beneficial for the long term. And even that plaque that you have 
I mean, if I, if I ever do that, I open up an aorta and I see plaque, that's the time that I, before discharge, I don't do it right away. I let the kid recover and make sure they're all fine from their heart operation. But sometime prior to discharge or at the first follow-up visit, mention it to the folks that, listen, there was a little bit of this inside Johnny's aorta and you probably ought to talk to our dietitian and think about some dietary modifications just to eat a little bit healthier so that this doesn't progress to something as Johnny gets older. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very important. So reducing saturated fat generally, increasing vegetables, increasing fiber. And there's no question that fiber and saturated fat are in a good way are clearly associated with plant-based diets. So there's just no question that you're going to get more fiber with a plant-based plant-based diet and uh, your saturated fat intake is going to be lower with a plant-based diet. There's that's not even something you can argue. Okay. So uh, we, I didn't have in mind list of questions to you but it again comes up um, fiber um, I, I bang on about fiber all the time, right? Because I find fiber is, is a very simple thing to improve your general health, like in, in all, like it just more fibrous foods, right? And, right? and when people you know, are talking to me about transitioning more to a vegetable-based diet, they're like, oh, what should I eat? And this is like my main thing is like just fibrous foods and you're going to get everything else underneath it. Everything that you're looking for is going to yeah. come in, fi- in a form of fiber. Right. Um, and, you know, so good for your microbiome and so on and so forth. But from your perspective, from heart, health how does ingesting more fiber improve the the strength of the heart i'm not sure fiber in the heart i mean i have to look it up to be honest with you i'm not sure if there's a direct relationship with fiber in the heart there's definitely a direct relationship with fiber in the gut yeah yeah yeah. uh, and gut health and uh, i think that that's very important and it's very easy to increase fiber intake and you know i just think about simple things like when i was a kid my mom always peeled the apples like yeah. that was just something you did back then but there's the like great and cut off the crust <laughs> i mean that's just crazy right like yeah, yeah. like the peel is the best part yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. um yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not i think again it has to do with your health in general it's not just the heart okay i I, I find that fascinating i'm always interested to know how fiber directly like definitely you know the gut and then gut health and mental wellness and so on and so forth makes a ton of sense but i'm just interested in the heart um so the the conclusion of the study is that there's a little difference between the two groups for the uh, except for some vegetarians to be slightly underweight um the underweight issue that is the biggest concern and you touched on it before but do you think that that's a long-term issue well i mean weight (laughs) some magical weight target that is set is again not the be-all and end-all and uh, i think one also has to realize that of the vegetarians and vegans in this study a significant percentage had a ethnic background Mm -hmm. and um, they, they were saying Asian, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and speaking as an Asian, like not all. I don't want to be a stereotype here, but a lot of Asians are smaller. I am. Yeah, I'm smaller. Um, so um, you know, there there's definitely an ethnic predisposition to body size and composition. Mm-hmm. There's just no question about that. And so you need to tease that out from size and and being the magical. 75 kilo male that's five foot 11 is not 
is not the be all and end all of health. Right. Um, so um, size matters in some things, but development matters a lot more than than specific metrics of size. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm underweight. You know, I take that with a grain of salt. Okay. Okay. Um, good to know. My children have always been a little bit smaller than their average. Yeah. Um, you know, and I grew up a little bit smaller, but I come from small people. Yeah. Right. So. Right. And that, and that's how we chart it in children, right? We do, we from the the time a baby's born to throughout their development, we chart them on growth curves, but we don't look at their absolute numbers. We look at their what's called their percentile. So if they start out small, on the fifteenth percentile. And at age one and age two and age three and age 10, they're still in the 15th percentile. That's just where they are. Right. You know, we don't want them to cross percentiles in a negative fashion. Mm. If you start out on the 50th percentile and at six months of age and one year of age, you're, you're, you're down to the 10th percentile, then right. there's a problem. That's an indicator, I guess. That, yeah. yeah, that's an indicator of health yeah. or bad health. And so you don't want to cross percentiles that way. Similarly, you know, if you're at the 50th percentile when you're a year of age and you're at the 150th percentile when you're a six-year-old, there's a problem. Okay. So um, we just want you to realize your genetic potentials right. <laughs> and and there clearly are genetic factors to size yeah. um you know you're not gonna you, you you're probably not gonna be you know six foot five if both your parents are five foot two right yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just not gonna happen yeah yeah fair so as a parent what matters most for kids health you know like exercise junk food eating more plants sleeping more not drinking alcohol right like what are the things and you know from your perspective as a dad yeah, I mean, that gets a little bit beyond plant-based diets, but um, I think, I think uh, you know, a well-balanced life. And to me, that means taking good care of your body, taking good care of your brain, mm-hmm. your mind. And um, uh, a healthy lifestyle includes, for, for me, if I was giving advice to parents, includes plenty of physical activity, in this day and age, that can be a problem. Yeah, you see that as people, a problem? It's a huge problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the rare kid that comes in without an iPad or a phone, no matter what their age. And you know, I remember, it was getting off topic, but my mom would just kick me out of the house and say, go play. Yeah, yeah. I and there was no play. phones, there was no way to get a hold of me, like be back by dinner. Yeah. Right. That was the weekend. Go play and be back by dinner. Sure. And they didn't know where you went to play or what you were doing. Of yeah. course, it was a small town neighborhood, etc. But yeah. but, you know, parents don't do that these days. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons you can't do that, maybe in that sort of manner. But but you're. And parents, lots of parents are, are worried about limiting screen time, but back then you didn't have to worry about screen time. There was no such, there was two channels on the TV and that was that. And, um, and one of them was bad. Yeah. So um, you had to go outside to play. And I think physical activity is extremely important. Diet is incredibly important. And again, like we talked about, I think it's a well-balanced diet. Um, if they go to McDonald's every once in a while, so what? But at the same time, they, there needs to be emphasis placed on on uh, well balanced uh, consumption of fruit and vegetables, and um, and making sure they get what they need to get. And 
Um, and then again, totally off topic is the mental aspects of it. Like just to be, take care of your brain. There's not enough attention paid towards mental health. I mean, there's more attention paid toward these towards it these days than there was certainly when you and I were kids and even maybe a decade ago, but to stimulate your mind in proper ways, I think is incredibly important. And like even just getting kids to read a book mm-hmm. um, for fun or for leisure or for pleasure or for knowledge is a challenge mm-hmm. uh, these days. And um, even now, most books involve screen time and um, be nice for kids to just pick up an old fashioned book and read it because you know, they like Harry Potter or, mm. or whatever. So yeah. I, I think stimulating the brain, keeping the body active and making sure what you put into your body is, is promoting a good, long, healthy life is, are the most important things for successfully raising a child. Yeah. I can't tell you that as a dad of three that I did all those things perfectly. I'm sure I didn't. Um, but, you know, live and learn. <laughs> so, it, you know, again, from a dad's perspective, Getting a child to move towards, you know, say you've got a 10-year-old and you've eaten a typically North American-y type lifestyle. You're a parent. You're deciding, hey, I want to change things. I'm seeing some things in my kids or my family that I'm not super satisfied with. It's time to start making a shift. But immediately you've got some opposition, right? Like the type of diet, the type of food, the flavors, all those things that were there were yeah. better. And now things are starting to taste a yeah. lot like cardboard and, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, styrofoam chips. Yeah. Um, how, how in the past, you know, as a dad that's seen the benefit knows why these things need to happen. How have you been able to work through those challenges? Yeah. That, well, that can be challenging, especially for the age group that you talk about, because right. they're, they can be picky and um, they see what's in front of them on a plate. And um, that's where you have to, there's a little tough love involved and there's a little creativity involved with that too. I mean, there's plenty of ways to make plant-based foods taste awesome. Mm -hmm. And in fact, many plant-based foods taste more awesome than a piece of steak. Um, But, um, you know, I think the advantage of living in the era that we're living in is that there's, there is a lot of information out there and there's, a zillion ways to get recipes and put things together. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't even need a shelf of recipe books. You just need an internet connection. And there's plenty of ways to get free advice on how to do that sort of thing in terms of making tasty plant-based foods or making foods that have less saturated fat and uh, less red meat and all that sort of stuff. to, to make it more appetizing for kids. And, you know, th- throwing in the non, uh, sort of the, the other issues that are associated with plant-based foods, the, the non-individualistic advantages, the advantages of, of, uh, of the environment and, and, Uh, ecology and things like that for certain kids actually can be advantageous. I mean, I I have two nieces that are 
actually, in my opinion, a little bit too vegan. But um, nonetheless, the whole environmental thing was their stimulus. It wasn't yeah. health. It was that was their stimulus and their love of animals and this this sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's the stimulus for a lot of youth now. Yeah. And so, which wouldn't have been the stimulus for you and me, right? Like. Yeah we didn't care about the trees nearly as much as they care about the trees. So, um, you know, if you highlight some of those other advantages, it can help with, with convincing kids that might need some convincing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I try not to tell this to, to parents to, to guilt them or make them feel shame, but you know, any, you know, small five, six year old child, you know, like generally in a, typical suburban or, or urban sort of environment, you take them out back to slaughter an animal and they're not going to want to kill an animal. They're going to want to play with it. They're going to want to pet, pet it, right? Yeah. You know, it's like you tell them we're going to, you know, cut down all the trees in the backyard. They're going to be sad about that, right? Yeah. Like, so, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I find the movements with your niece, as you say, it seems that the access to information is giving youth that ability to have empathy for animals and our planet at a younger age. Yeah. Where we were oblivious to that, right? Like, it just totally. didn't Completely know what's oblivious. Going on. Right. Completely oblivious. And, and I also think that, you know, you brought up the example of a 10 year old. But the, the earlier you start these healthy lifestyle choices, these healthy, healthy dietary choices, yeah. the less difficult it is to, to do it. Like if they're used to not having soda in the fridge and they don't even know what soda is, then you never have to worry about taking it away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, I think that's the most important thing. That's why it's important to instill these good practices earlier rather than later. And I think that's sort of the advantage I had a little bit with my children too, is that, you know, the the earlier you you start stuff like that, it becomes, it doesn't even become an effort. It becomes an effort the other way around. Like if you put a sugary drink in front of them, they're like, what's this? You know, and um, that's sort of the stage that you want to get at. That's why, you know, people start their kids on skis when they're two yeah. or three year olds, because th- then they they get used to it and they're way better than me starting as a 30 year old. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so the more things you institute in childhood, the better. Yeah. It's like everything with childhood, right? Like that's the, the great part about being a, a doctor that deals just with kids like you can. They're so moldable and so have so many more talents as a child than we do as adults. Right. It's like with language, like everything, they just, they adapt, they learn, and they get used to stuff. And so hopefully as time goes on and these, and there's more attention paid towards these healthy lifestyle choices, whether it be lifestyle in general or diet early on, this these so-called controversial issues will become less controversial. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think 100 years from now, plant-based diets will be predominant i'm not i don't think animal-based diets will go away but but given the negative implications both the planetary implications and the health implications of lots of aspects of of animal-based diets or heavily carnivore diets um you know things will change Uh, like you've seen other things evolve that were not even thinkable yeah, when we were kids. Yeah, smoking in general. Yeah, like when we were right. kids, like my, my kids see movies of people smoking in offices and that sort of, and they're just like it's. Well, I tell my I told my son the other day I, we we went um, 
we went on a father-son golf trip and um and <laughs> and i played golf when i was a kid and and there were plenty of little road trips where a parent would be the chauffeur yeah. and take four or five kids in their car and you know several of the parents were chain smokers right. and and this was in Nova Scotia, like it wasn't always the warmest, right? So your windows weren't open, the windows were closed, yeah. and you'd go on a three-hour road trip, and he'd go through a pack of cigarettes inside a closed car. Yeah. That's what I when I learned what that little lighter thing was in a car, which don't exist. They're all outlets yeah, yeah, now, yeah. but there was a lighter thing in a car, and that was whatever. And my parents didn't bat an eyelash and they were physicians at the time right <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that you were going to be in a car for three hours with a guy that was a chain smoker or that there was a smoking section on an airplane for god's sake yeah i traveled a lot internationally as a yeah. kid and yeah like living in being in a tunnel at a tube of smoke was just normal. or a smoking section in a restaurant like yeah. that's all and it's not a smoking section in a plane too right you right know? there's no such thing <laughs> right thing. but it, that's incomprehensible in this day and yeah. age right i think and it's I, a great example of and i think change i think it might not be to that extreme, but there will be similar incomprehensible things, you know, in the future. Yeah. And when it comes to to diet, for sure. Like, as you said, when you started this, uh, you know, growing up a vegetarian in the 70s and even 80s was almost impossible. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible no. at all anymore. No. no, it's interesting. You know, my kids have grown up vegetarian uh, or vegan their, their entire life. Um, we live a predominantly plant-based whole food plant-based lifestyle you know we eat um honey and we have you know once in a while somebody have a little bit of cheese or whatever it's not the end of the world like you said you know kids going to mcdonald's not a big deal my kids having cheese not a big deal but they live in this space now that is so normal to them but they still are abnormal in their environment so like the change is happening and they only know what they know, but they are still, from their peers, looked at as abnormal. So there's still social pressures there. So like things have changed since we were kids in a, in a, in a massive way. They can go to any restaurant, they can go to fancy restaurants and eat all vegan fare and eat all this stuff and live this great life, but there still is this social pressure. Yeah. So it, it's interesting, you know, as a parent, raising my kids that way we still have like it's been their entire life and we still have these conversations about reinforcing why they're doing things and what is fascinating and satisfying is that you know they'll have a a discussion in social studies or in science or something that comes up with whatever the big problem is global issue and you know one of the main solutions to that issue is reducing the amount of animal consumption right Mm -hmm. and my daughter it just kind of reinforces it my son's 10 or 11 and so it's not quite as predominant for him but in her classes now and going to grade nine you know that's really where that conversation is is like how can we better the planet how can we fix what generations previously have done and it seems at the top of that list if you're a 14 year old girl what can you do you can stop eating animal products that's in your control and you know so she feels very satisfied so she's being ostracized a little bit by her peers over time and that's shifting more and more that more of her peers are like how does it work? What are you doing? Well, how do you do that? How do they, and they're finding interest. So I think that that shift is definitely changing, as you say. Right. So, so this has been fantastic. Oh, great. I really appreciate the conversation. I hope that it's been informative to anyone watching. You know, if you're in a stage of life that trying to move your family towards eating more more plants um you know dr gandhi here definitely has has been clear on the the net benefit of eating 
uh, you know, holy plants or a lot more plants uh, and not being concerned. Not, not he's, he's saying straight up that it's a safe way. The paper says it's a safe way. He says it's a safe way. You know, we can also find lots of the people that, are, that agree, but it was really great to hear it from your perspective of caring for, for young children. Uh, and thank you so much for everything that you well, thank do. Thank you. So I'm very thankful for the time that Dr. Gandhi gave to us. It was really, really fascinating to listen to his perspective on it, his you know, professional understanding, but his personal perspective. And you know, the way in which he really feels that a vegetarian lifestyle done well is a perfectly safe way to feed children. So if you have any concern that you are going in that direction, understanding you know, what that means by you know, a rounded diet, a healthy vegetarian diet, but basically he's also saying as, as you know you heard cutting out meat and cutting out those sorts of things is unnecessary but dramatically increasing the quality of our kids diets is what he thinks is is the most important thing for us to focus on which you know I couldn't agree more I think like understanding how we can put more whole food into our children's diets is is critical and it's important so I hope this was helpful to you any questions please throw them below and thanks so much